Welcome to the teaching ministry of Grace Baptist Church in Santa Maria, California. Join our pastors as they share biblical principles of God's transforming grace so that you may learn God's word in order to live God's way. Good morning, Grace. Let's open our Bibles to the book of Philemon. Philemon is right before the book of Hebrews, if that helps you find the book. Titled this series, Gospel Refreshment. You may be wondering, why are we still talking about the gospel? Let me let my friend Martin Luther explain. He says, most necessary it is, therefore, that we should know this article well, or know the gospel well, teach it unto others, and beat it into their heads continually. So that's what I plan to do today and with this series, and really every time I preach Beat it into your head and beat it into my head because oftentimes I forget what good news it is. Philemon, look at verse 1. We'll pray, read and then pray. Hear the words of the gracious God that we serve. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your great love you've shown through the person and work of your Son, Thank you for your spirit that you give to us. And we thank you for Jesus and the gospel, his perfect life and death and resurrection. And once again, as we come to your word, Father, would you beat it into our heads? Because we often forget. But more importantly than that, God, it's appropriate for the gospel to be refreshed in our minds because it puts the Focus and the spotlight where it needs to be, which is on your son. So get great glory this morning as we talk about what it means to follow Jesus. Send your spirit again to open our eyes to see wonderful things out of your word. And then may you transform us and send us to our city, to our nation, and to the nations of the world to tell them repeatedly the good news of Jesus. Do it now for our good and for your glory, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. He was thrown in prison and ripped away from his family and his beloved congregation because he had a high view of God's sovereignty in salvation. And he wanted to see reform come to the church in Scotland. He wrote treatises against Arminian theology, which says that it's up to men to decide if they want to follow Christ. It's not what we believe here. We, we believe and embrace Reformed theology. This man wrote treatises against Arminian theology and was subsequently put in prison in the city of Aberdeen, which was a bastion of Arminian theology. It's like, add insult to injury. Let's arrest him, take him away from his family and church, and then put him in prison inside this city that is predominantly against his own theology. He was deprived of his ministerial office and forbidden to preach anywhere in Scotland. His name, Samuel Rutherford, born in 1600, died in 1661. And though the years away from his family and church were terrible, Rutherford's imprisonment for the gospel became a time of sweet fellowship with Jesus. He wrote many letters during this time to his congregation and friends. They've been preserved in history. In fact, you can get them in the Puritan paperback series. I commend it to you. 
Other Puritan pastors of his day lauded his, his letters and his works. Robert Murray Machane said that Ruther, Rutherford's prison letters were often in his hand. Richard Baxter, another Puritan, uh, said his view was that apart from the Bible, such a book as Mr. Rutherford's letters, the world never saw the like. And Charles Spurgeon said that they were the nearest thing to inspiration, which can be found in all the writings of mere man. Here was a man who was taken away from his wife and his family, away from the congregation that he loved, put in prison, and yet by the grace of God, he could utter these words. How be it, Christ's green cross, newly laid upon me, be somewhat heavy, while I call to mind the many fair days, sweet and comfortable to my soul, and to the souls of many others, and how young ones in Christ are plucked from the breast, and the inheritance of God laid waste. Yet that sweet-smelled and perfumed cross of Christ is accompanied with sweet refreshments, with the kisses of a king, with the joy of the Holy Ghost, with faith that the Lord hears the sighing of a prisoner, with undoubted hope, as sure as my Lord liveth, after this night to see daylight, and Christ's sky to clear up again upon me and his poor church." And that in a strange land, among strange faces, he will give favor in the eyes of men to his poor, oppressed servant who cannot but love that lovely one, that princely one, Jesus, the comforter of his soul. Oh, what unseen joys! How many heartburnings of love are the remnants of the sufferings of Christ? He's talking about suffering for Jesus, and he calls it unseen joys and heartburnings of love. Welcome, welcome, sweet, sweet and glorious cross of Christ. Welcome, sweet Jesus, with thy light cross. Thou hast now gained and gotten all my love from me. Keep what thou hast gotten. A disciple in prison. A father, a husband, a pastor in prison who has a steel spine and a soft heart. Samuel Rutherford experienced gospel refreshment while in prison, just like the Apostle Paul, as we will see in the book of Philemon. The gospel produces tender-hearted, steel-spined Christians when they suffer for Jesus That's what we're going to see in the book of Philemon. That's why we've titled it Gospel Refreshment. Two quick thoughts about the book of Philemon. I follow verse and chapter divisions, like some Bibles, the Net Bible, some online ESV versions. Instead of saying Philemon 1, I'm going to say Philemon 1-1 because you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Nobody seems to know. Do you put a chapter in a verse when there's only one chapter? Who knows? But this is what I'm doing. If you disagree, that's okay. But this is what I'm used to doing. So I'm going to say Philemon 1.13 instead of just saying Philemon 13. So that makes you uncomfortable. I'm sorry. That's just one of those weird things that preachers think about. Secondly, here's a quick overview of Philemon. Philemon was this rich 
uh, man who had a slave named Onesimus. Onesimus ran away from Philemon. He became a Christian, maybe under the ministry of Paul. Either way, he encountered the Apostle Paul, was a help to Paul as he was in prison, and now Paul has written the letter of Philemon, put it in the hand of Onesimus, and said, go back to your servant. And in this letter, Paul is calling upon Philemon to forgive Onesimus because now he's not just returning as a slave, he's now returning as a brother in the Lord. That's kind of an overview of the book. We'll talk more about the introduction next week. Today, I just want us to hover over the first six words of chapter 1, verse 1. So look at it again with me. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus. That's as far as we're going to get today. Why? Why read only half a verse? Because we need to be reminded of something, which is our big idea today. Gospel refreshment happens when we remember that we will suffer for Jesus. Gospel refreshment will come into your life and into my life when we remember that when we follow Jesus as a disciple, people in this world are going to hate our guts. That's what I think verse 1a wants to remind us of. If we hover over this verse, we will see it to be true. Paul is in prison. He is on death row. He may get his head chopped off precisely because he is a disciple of Jesus Christ. That's why he says a prisoner for Christ Jesus. He's not in prison for tax evasion. He's not in prison for murder. He's in prison because he believes this book is true. He follows Jesus Christ. I've often wondered what kind of prisoner the Apostle Paul was. The only picture we have of Paul is what we can read in Scripture. And that is a picture of a very passionate man, a man who loved the gospel, a man who preached the gospel, a man who loved to defend the gospel. But we do have one more description of Paul. It's not found in the Bible. It's found in an apocryphal book that's not Scripture, titled The Acts of Paul and Thecla. So outside of Scripture, this is all we have in some sort of history book or some other book than the Bible. This is how Paul is described. A man rather small in size, bald-headed, bow-legged, with meeting eyebrows, a large, red, and somewhat hooked nose, strongly built. He was full of grace, for at times he looked like a man and at times like an angel. Short, bald, bow-legged, unibrow. That's what the phrase meeting eyebrows means. Big, red, crooked nose, stocky. We don't know if that's what he looked like, but that's the only description we have of Paul. I'm sorry if I've ruined your imagery of what you thought the Apostle Paul looked like, but this is all we have. Sorry, my view was ruined, so I'm just going to ruin yours too, okay? But what else does it say about him? Full of grace at times, like an angel. Why is this important for us to see as we start the book of Philemon It's important because if our big idea is true, then verse 1 is telling us that when we suffer, it behooves us to understand how we are to suffer. Paul apparently suffered gracefully. He was gentle. He was not brash or mean or angry, spewing forth vitriol. When he suffered for Jesus, he was not a jerk. 
He had a steel spine and a soft heart. Paul's imprisonment is an important element to the book of Philemon. Besides verse 1, he mentions it in four other places. Verse 9, he says, I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. Verse 23, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner. Verse 10, my imprisonment. Verse 13, my imprisonment. If we take those four verses together with verse 1, they are screaming something to us. Is that Christians suffer in this world when they follow Jesus Christ. Gospel refreshment will happen in your life and in my life when we remember that we will suffer for Jesus. It is a major theme of the Bible. You have the people of God living in Egypt under the oppression of Pharaoh. The Israelites suffered. The cries of the psalmist as they suffered. The oppression of Assyria. We saw that in Jonah and Nahum, the oppression of Babylon. Then you have the people of God coming out of exile under the leadership of Ezra and Nehemiah. The people of God have always suffered in this world. The people of God have always been hated by this world. It doesn't mean everybody in the world is going to hate us, but we will be hated. Jesus said so in John 15. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Then we have Acts 14.22, which says, Through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. 2 Timothy 3.12 Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Do you desire to live a godly life? Do you want to live a life that honors the Lord? Guess what? You will be persecuted for it. Philippians 1, which we saw last fall, Paul says, For it has been granted or graced or given. It's a gift. He's going to mention two gifts. Listen, it has been gifted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Then Romans 8.36, as it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. How about the next time you share the gospel with someone, you say, you know, someone who follows Jesus, they're called a disciple. How about you also slip in there? We also refer to ourselves as sheep to be slaughtered. Do you want to follow Jesus? Because that's the reality of the gospel, is that we are all as sheep to be slaughtered. For his sake, we are being killed all the day long. Mark 10, Peter began to say to him, see, we have left everything and followed you. And Jesus said, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers, sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time. Houses, brothers, sisters, mothers and children and lands. It's like if you you lost your family and your mother and father, you're going to get hundreds back in the body of Christ. And then Jesus throws in these two little words with persecutions. And in the age to come, eternal life. 
If you understand and embrace this truth that you will suffer, it will bring gospel refreshment to your heart. How so? You may think it's strange that I would say that understanding and embracing suffering brings gospel refreshment. You may be thinking that doesn't sound too encouraging and it doesn't sound refreshing. That I'm a sheep to be slaughtered all day long, I'm supposed to be killed. I get all these persecutions. It's not very helpful. Not very hopeful, not very encouraging. But it is. If you understand that suffering will happen, then you won't be surprised by it when it happens. If you don't think about suffering for Jesus, if you don't keep hitting the refresh button, then you'll be caught off guard. Listen and observe how gospel refreshment happened as the early church responded to suffering and persecution. Acts 5 When they had called in the apostles, they beat them. Keep that in mind. Watch how they react. They beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and then let them go. And then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. The gospel got down into the nooks and crannies of their hearts. It refreshed their souls so that even when they were warned not to preach the gospel, they did it anyway. Why? Because gospel refreshment happened. And they left, as the text says, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Only the gospel can transform a heart that causes you to rejoice that you're beaten, that you're suffering, you're told not to do it. Only the gospel can then cause you to go out and say, sorry, this is a high privilege that I get to suffer for my Lord. Gospel refreshment happens when we remember that we will suffer for Jesus. So don't be surprised by it. In fact, Peter says in 1 Peter 4, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. He's saying, Christians suffer. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. I clung to that verse in high school and I broke ties with people and said, I'm not going to live that way anymore. I've got to live for Jesus. This is my verse. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Gospel refreshment happens in your heart when you realize that you will suffer for Jesus and you don't fear persecution. You don't fear what people can do to you. Gospel refreshment happens when you understand, because I'm a disciple, I am going to suffer. Gospel refreshment happens when you rehearse the gospel and you remind yourself of what it means to follow Jesus. Because suffering is a part of the gospel. And then when you rehearse the gospel, you begin to do something crazy Like what Jesus said when he said, love your enemies. It's only as you rehearse the gospel, as you're refreshed by it, that you'll be able to love your enemies. Suffering is going to come. Peter says, don't suffer as an evildoer. He says, suffer 
because you are a Christian. Don't suffer because you're a Republican. Suffer because you're a conservative or a Democrat or whatever you are, Oakland Raiders fan, I don't know. Suffer. Let people make fun of you. Let people hate your guts because you're a Christian. 1 Peter 4.12 was our fighter verse last week. Don't be ashamed when you suffer for Jesus, but glorify God in that name. You glorify and rejoice when you suffer for Jesus because you are so overwhelmed with him. When he is your treasure, you can say, I will suffer for you. I will do anything for you. You have been so good to me. And when you can do that, he is mightily glorified. When you say, I don't care what they say about me. I don't care what they do to me because I have you, Jesus. You fill in the blank. I can lose blank because I have you. I can lose my spouse. I can lose my kids. I can lose my house. I can lose my my car, I can lose my bank account, I can lose my retirement, I can lose everything. They can take it all, Jesus, because I'm satisfied in you and you alone. Jesus, Psalm 63.3 says that your love is better than life. Your love, Jesus, is better than everything in this world, and they can take it all, but they cannot put their hands on you, my love. Gospel refreshment comes when you realize that Jesus satisfies your soul more than anything in this world. And then when they take it, you're not surprised. When you lose it all, you say, it doesn't matter because they can't get the most important thing. They cannot take Jesus out of my heart. Even if they kill me, I go on living. In fact, I go to be with him doing me a favor. Thank you for escorting me to my Savior and the love and the treasure of my life. Go ahead and chop my head off. That's what gospel refreshment does. You can look people in the eye and say, you can lay your hands on me. You can lay your hands on my kids. You can lay your hands on everything. You can take it. You can burn it. You can kill it. But you cannot put your hands on my God. The evidence that gospel, that the gospel has been rehearsed and brought refreshment in your life is that you develop a steel spine and a soft heart. The gospel refreshes you so that you can take a deep breath in as you come to grips with the fact that you will suffer and you are not scared. That's the steel spine. that You can look people in the eye when they're about to beat you to a bloody pulp. And you can say, you know what? It doesn't matter because I still have Jesus. You can't beat him out of me. And you develop a deep care and concern for the lost people in this world who hate your guts and want you dead. That's the soft heart. That's what gospel refreshment does. That's how it relates to suffering and persecution. You get a steel spine and you get a soft heart. Listen, in this world, people are going to hate your guts because you are a Christian, but you have to love them to death. People are going to hate your guts for following Jesus. You have to love them to death, and you may have to do it literally. You may have to give your life because you follow Jesus. 
We see Paul demonstrating that with Silas in Acts 16 as they have this steel spine and soft heart. You know, they're arrested for preaching the gospel. They're beaten, flogged, put in chains, and they're singing hymns to God. And then when the earthquake happens and they're miraculously released from their bonds, the Philippian jailer thinks they're gone. He takes out his sword to commit suicide. And he says, and they cry out to him, don't do it. Soft hearts for those who had beaten them, chained them up. Steel spines to stand up and say, we're going to keep preaching the gospel even though this world hates us. In fact, I think Paul has a steel spine and a soft heart as he writes this letter to Philemon. He has to have a steel spine because he has to confront his brother, Philemon, and say, you need to welcome him back, brother. And he has a soft heart as he encourages Onesimus to return to his master, not knowing what he's going to do with him. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, for his sake, for the gospel's sake. When you read Paul and he refers to himself as a prisoner, Acts 28, Ephesians 3, Ephesians 4, Colossians 4, 2 Timothy 1, understand that his description of himself, his business card, if you will, his identity packs a punch. When he says, I am a prisoner for Christ Jesus, he is screaming at us, Christian, you will suffer in this life for following Jesus. And that's why we're hovering over just part of one verse today because I want to prepare you, Grace, for suffering should it ever come in its most extreme form of martyrdom. But I want to prepare you wherever it comes to us on the scale. I want to prepare you for work tomorrow when somebody says, or Tuesday, right? When somebody says, what did you do all weekend? I went to church and they slander you because you follow Jesus. I want to prepare you for Tuesday morning when you stick your neck out on the line and say, I'm I'm a Christian. I went to church this weekend. Will you stand up for Jesus? What if persecution does sweep this land? Will you stand up with a still spine and a soft heart and say, I will not deny my Lord. Go right ahead and chop my head off. Will you risk your life and your property to visit brothers and sisters who have been put in prison and are arrested because they were vocal about Jesus like we read in the the book of Hebrews, Hebrews 10? But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion, soft heart, on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, still spine, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. These people said, my brothers and sisters in Christ in the church have been put in prison. We need to go take a meal to them. We need to go take them a blanket. We need to go take them some verses written down in Scripture. And when they went, people took their homes and their cars and burned them down. And they joyfully accepted the plundering. Of their property. Why? Because their hearts were refreshed with the gospel that they said, I can lose it all. I'll lose it all if it means I can go bring encouragement to my brother or sister in prison. You may be thrown in prison someday, you may be beaten, 
you may lose a raise at work or a promotion at work precisely because you follow Jesus. Maybe your boss knows that you love Jesus. Maybe your boss knows that you're a disciple and a Christian. And maybe just because of that fact, he doesn't give you the promotion. He gives it to someone else. You may actually be martyred. You may be killed for following Jesus. Did you know that there are a specific number of martyrs already determined by our sovereign God? You may have read it in our newsletter if you signed up for our newsletter. Revelation 6, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. You may be a martyr. You may die for Jesus Christ. This verse may have been written 2,000 years ago and it may have been talking about you and you don't know it yet. And it may be talking about me. Or it may be talking about your children or your grandchildren. Do you think about that at night when you tuck your sweet kids into bed? You may be tucking a martyr for Jesus into bed. Oh, how we need to pray for our kids and tell them what it costs to follow Jesus. Tell them what it means to believe in this book. I had tears in my eyes as I was typing up this sermon. The weight and the gravity that was on me as I thought about kids that come here to grace, as I thought about my own children, as as they may experience this hurricane of animosity and hatred and anger and vitriol from the world because they love Jesus someday. We adults may not see it come to our land. We might, but we might not. It may be our kids and grandkids who are martyred for Jesus. May God cause the kids in this church to soak up the promises in his word that they may be able to stand in that day. May God give them steel spines and soft hearts. It's why we want you to serve in Awana on Wednesday night if you're not doing anything. There may be martyrs here. And you need to encourage them to hide God's word in their heart because they may give their life for Jesus someday. Or for VBS, or teaching a Sunday school class, or working with the youth group. There may be martyrs here in this church. There may be martyrs in your house. Do we pray for them? Do we tell them what it means to follow Jesus? If there are any of you kids in here today, any youth or even college, I want you to listen to Pastor Benji for just a second. If you follow Jesus and you love him, and I pray that you do, understand that there are people in this world that will hate your guts for following Jesus. And they may take your life someday. 
That doesn't necessarily mean that they will, but it is a possibility. You have to know that I would not be a good pastor if I did not tell you kids that someday you may die because you believe the gospel. I would be a terrible pastor if I never warned you of that. I would be a terrible pastor, Grace, if I never warned you that should persecution come to this land, you may stick your neck out on the line and you may get it chopped off or you may get locked up in prison. I love you too much to not tell you. I don't care about the emails I'll get this week. Send them. I'll rejoice and pray for your kids. I want my kids, I want the kids at Grace to understand it may cost their life. I want kids to grow up in this church and say, you know what, I want to go be a missionary to the nations and tell people about Jesus. I had a lady in Texas tell me, stop praying that for my kids. I don't want them to go overseas and be a missionary. I said, now I'm really going to pray. Safety and security doesn't happen when you follow Jesus. There's no safety. There's no security. He protects us. But if we die, there's still safety because we go to be with him. I love you kids too much not to tell you that you might die for following Jesus. But you already know this because it's in your children's Bibles. Your Bibles are full of stories of the people of God being hated by this world. This is what the story of David and Goliath is about. It's what the story of Daniel and the lion's den is about. It's what the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is about. It's what the story of Stephen is about. It's what the story of Jesus is about. People in this world will hate your guts, but you have to love them to death. I don't want to bring any bleach or disinfectant to the children's Bibles. I want my kids to know you might be eaten by lions if you follow Jesus. You keep trusting him, kids. Doesn't mean that you will. You don't have to worry. Jesus is in control. He knows everything. You keep loving him. You keep reading his word. You keep storing it up in your heart. You keep praying. He will give you strength in the day to have a still spine, to not fear the persecution. He will give you a soft heart to love your enemies who hate you and want to kill you. You'll begin to pray for them and share the gospel with them. It's gospel refreshment happens when we remember that we will suffer for Jesus. D.A. Carson said, I look at my children and I wish for them enough opposition to make them strong, enough insults to make them choose, enough hard decisions to make them see that following Jesus brings with it a cost, a cost eminently worth it, but still a cost. A church that is merely comfortable, that never evangelizes, never encourages people to stand on the front line, will never be strong, never be grateful, never be able to sort out profoundly Christian priorities. It is only in the context of suffering that Christians can learn what it means to be more than conquerors. Parents, Kids, every person here today, gospel refreshment comes when we remember that we will suffer for Jesus. It will cost you everything to follow him. Everything. It is not easy, but he gives grace. For Paul, it was imprisonment. For you, it might be a promotion at work denied. It might be a severed 
friendship. It may mean someone slandering you on Facebook. It may mean your house gets burned down. It may mean imprisonment, and it may mean death. But one little phrase can course correct your life and course correct this church. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus. Revelation 2.10 says, Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested, and for 10 days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Suffering and persecution are not new to Christianity. It's always been happening, which is why we need to remember our brothers and sisters around the world who are suffering in the persecuted church, who are in prison, suffering because they believe in Jesus. Many, many more will be imprisoned for following Jesus, and it may come to our land, but many, many more will be imprisoned around the world, just like the many that have had that have. John Bunyan, author of Pilgrim's Progress, was imprisoned for preaching the gospel. When asked to recant and not to preach, he said, I have determined the Almighty God being my help and shield yet to suffer. If frail life might continue so long, even till the moss shall grow on mine eyebrows, rather than thus to violate my faith and principles. Bunyan said, I don't care how long they keep me in here. Until the moss starts to grow on my eyebrows, I will not deny Jesus. And it's not to say that this was some triumphant Christianity and spirituality that he experienced. It took a toll on him emotionally. He had a wife and kids, and one of his daughters was blind. And he bore the weight of what would happen to his family if he was never released or if he was killed. And he bore the weight of what would happen to his blind daughter. What suffering she would experience in this world without her father. This is what he said. The parting with my wife and poor children hath often been to me in this place as the pulling of the flesh from my bones. And that not only because I am somewhat too fond of these great mercies, my family, but also because I should have often brought to my mind the many hardships, miseries, and wants that my poor family was like to meet with should I be taken from them, especially my poor blind child who lay nearer my heart than all I had besides. Oh, the thoughts of the hardship I thought my blind one might go under would break my heart to pieces. The pain of following Jesus was real for Bunyan. It was raw, and it broke his heart into a million pieces. It was like the pulling of his flesh off of his bones, yet he loved Jesus so much that he stayed in that prison for 12 years. And the pain of following Jesus will be real, and it will be raw for us whatever the degree of persecution that we experience. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus. John Bunyan, a prisoner 
for Christ Jesus. Samuel Rutherford, a prisoner for Christ Jesus. And there are so many more that we could mention. And right here in this church today, there may be a disciple that may write a letter from prison someday because they were preaching the gospel and would not back down and they may sign it a prisoner for Christ Jesus. That's my prayer. Paul is on death row, a prisoner for Christ because of the gospel, and yet he cares about the severed relationship between Philemon and Onesimus. You see, that's what gospel refreshment does. When you rehearse the gospel and it refreshes you, it causes you to get your eyes off of yourself and onto others. It caused Bunyan to get his eyes off of himself onto his family that he cared for. It caused Samuel Rutherford to get his eyes off of himself onto other people and to start dispatching letters to them to bring them encouragement. That's what gospel refreshment does in your suffering. You get your eyes off of yourself, you get them onto other people, and ultimately you get them on to Jesus. You're willing to do something crazy like lose your property like the people in the book of Hebrews when they visited people in jail. Gospel refreshment happened to them and they realized that they had a better lasting possession with Jesus so they could lose their home, their car, family, everything else. Gospel refreshment gives you a steel spine, a steel backbone And it gives you a soft heart so that you can suffer. Gospel refreshment happens when we remember that we will suffer for Jesus. Samuel Rutherford was refreshed by the gospel as he was locked up in prison in Aberdeen. He said a letter to someone, Give Christ your virgin love. You cannot put your love and heart into better hand. Oh, if ye knew him and saw his beauty, your love, your liking, your heart, your desires would close with him and cleave to him. I never, by nine years preaching, listen to what he's saying. He's saying, never in in my nine years of being a pastor, being free with my family and friends, preaching in the church, I never by nine years preaching knew so much of Christ's love as he taught me in prison in Aberdeen. Sweet, sweet have been his comforts to my soul. My pen, tongue, and heart have no words to express the kindness, love, and mercy of my well-beloved to me in this house of my pilgrimage. You will only be able to talk like Samuel Rutherford If Jesus is your treasure and you delight in him more than anything else, you will only be able to talk like that and say, sweet, sweet is my Savior to me as they lock you up in prison and say, later on today, we're chopping your head off. You will only be able to say that if you, like the psalmist, can say, you have put more joy in my heart than they have when their wine and and grain abound. What the psalmist is saying, Jesus, you've given me more joy inside of my heart than the world has when they have their cars and their, their, their retirement home and retirement package and the place at the lake and the iPads and, and the surroundings round sound, living room, and whatever. And there's nothing wrong with having those things. But if you can say, Jesus, you put more joy in my heart than the world has when they have all that shiny, glittery stuff, then you, 
could write a letter from prison one day like Samuel Rutherford and say, oh, sweet, sweet Jesus, you have brought sweet gospel refreshment to me. Only if Jesus is your treasure. Only if you love him more than anything. Your kids, your wife, your husband, your family, your job, sex, money, food. Is he your treasure today? If he is then you will experience gospel refreshment so that you have a steel spine and a soft heart as you suffer. May God help us to stand up for truth and to love our enemies. After all, that's what Jesus did for us, which is why we're celebrating the Lord's Supper today. While we were still enemies with God, Christ died for us. Let's experience gospel refreshment now as we partake of these elements. As you partake of communion today, to use the words of Samuel Rutherford, see his beauty, see his love, and cleave to him. Suffer for his name. And when you do, rejoice because he is infinitely glorious. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your great love that while we were still enemies, we hated you, we despised you, yet your great love, you sent Jesus to die for us. Thank you for the sweet gospel refreshment that you bring to us every time we rehearse the gospel, every time we remember what Jesus did for us. Father, now as we partake of the elements, would you cause us to love our enemies, to forgive those who have wronged us, and to be refreshed this morning by your grace to go and live for you and to suffer for you in whatever capacity. Be with our persecuted brothers and sisters around the world who are experiencing tremendous pain and agony for following you. Would you give them still spines and soft hearts and do the same for us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Our hope is that today's message empowers you by God's grace to live God's way. For more information, visit us online at gracebath.net.